welcome to her Head in the Box podcast. Join our hosts Lisa and Monica as they share a bottle of wine and discuss women in film. stay on my side of the table. You stay on your side of the table. (laughs) Hello. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Lisa. I'm Monica. Our episode this evening is the colorful comedy drama Tangerine, directed and co-written by Sean Baker. So the wine that we (laughs) selected, just took a big old gulp, is called Sweet Bitch. It's a smooth and fruity Cabernet Sauvignon. Yeah, emphasis on the sweet, because man, that that sweetness is a bitch. Um, you can tell just by swirling it around how many sugars are in this thing. It is a product of Chile. We're already making some faces. I'm not yeah. sure how long we're going to last yeah. in this it, um, it says smooth and fruity. It's definitely fruity, but I would describe it as sickly sweet. If you like your wine, like a candy, the sugars are still in the glass as I'm swirling it around. It is Lonnie and Lonnie in the District of Columbia, this wine's for you. <laughs> if you like Moscato. Yes. Uh, oh, my God. I don't know. We might have to have a backup wine for this. There's a secret listeners that we might have to do, which is have a, our backup wine. There's no we... secret. I can double fist. <laughs> if I and drink from another bottle, this one might taste better. We're off to a real positive start, aren't yeah, we? Yeah, we are. <laughs> But I paired it because I thought the title kind of was representative of the movie. I think it should be re- relabeled, nasty-ass bitch. Nasty-ass. Well, because our female characters are sweet as well as bitches. Yeah, we had good intentions with this wine, as did the... Uh, and there's a wolf on the back. How could you go wrong? But, man. Sweet bitches and werewolves. Oh. We've been had, girl. <laughs> <laughs> All right, a, a brief summary of this film. It is about... A woman named Cindy, Cinderella to be specific. Mm-hmm. She is a transgendered sex worker, and she has just gotten out of prison after 28 days in jail, only to find out that her boyfriend slash pimp was cheating on her while she was away. And the story basically follows Cindy on her quest, her rage to find uh, the woman that her boyfriend, Chester, has been sleeping with. And before we go further, we should say there's spoilers. So if you haven't seen this movie yet, it's on Netflix. It's definitely worth a watch. Check it out and then come back when you're done so you can listen along with us. Speaking of spoilers, this wine is not getting any better. <laughs> there was some other episode that we had a real sweet red, but I think we powered through. I've blocked it out from my memory. <laughs> so this movie, for maybe the two people who haven't heard about it, one of the reasons it got a lot of buzz is that it was filmed entirely on iPhone 5s. Which is ridiculous to think about because this movie is pretty gorgeous. It is. And I've watched several interviews with the director, Sean Baker, and he was saying that initially they chose to use the iPhones for like budgetary purposes. They wanted to be able to use um, their money for sets and extras, but they didn't see any issue like the quality of the iPhones. And clearly, I would not have been able to guess I found this fact out after watching the movie. Yeah, I had no idea. I was like, wow, that's very impressive. Even, I mean, you can tell it's handheld, but it's pretty stable the whole movie through. I wonder if they used the little iPad, I mean, the little iPhone tripods and stuff at some point. <laughs> Probably. But 
Tangerine is the name of the movie, and we were discussing before we started recording, one of the questions I had while I was watching the movie, I wrote down, I was like three quarters of the way through, and I was like, why is this movie called Tangerine? Yeah, I think like every couple of paragraphs in my notes is waiting for the tangerine. And I was guessing that it was because the movie definitely had colors, 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 colors. Favorite thing to talk about. (laughs) Magical colors. It was definitely a dominant color of the film. And apparently that is one of the reasons why it was named that way. The movie did not have a title initially when they started shooting it. And the director said that he didn't want a literal title. He Mm -hmm. intentionally wanted something that was just kind of ambiguous. He didn't want bitch going after her man <laughs> her man he done me wrong he done me wrong <laughs> gonna a get you sucker isn't that Ooh, yeah. well that's already a movie though yeah that was that was taken that's so taken. they had to go with tangerine <laughs> so he came up with it like either during or, or after walk film. to remember we could really steal any title from a romantic comedy for I say, dead man walking doesn't quite fit but <laughs> I kept noticing the air freshener the cabbie has and Alexander gives that to him after his car smells like puke and then it's featured very prominently constantly we constantly go back to the it's probably an orange but I was like it a tangerine? I don't know. I don't remember. I didn't know if that had any significance that they were making his shit smell good. <laughs> well, I noticed that to keep talking about colors before you even get into the plot, really, is they seem to use, I'm sure there were filters, you know, that were used while the movie was being edited, but it seemed like a lot of natural light and existing colors. The buildings, there were a lot of greens and it was always like sunset. And so the movie seemed like it had almost like an orangey kind of filter to it, whether that was intentional or not. The the whole movie is supposed to take place on Christmas Eve and it was actually shot on Christmas Eve 2013. I don't think it was just shot one day, but that's when they originally started filming it. Even before I knew why the movie was called Tangerine, of course, I was really taken by a lot of the visuals. There are three scenes in the movie, without giving too much away, that really stuck out for me mm-hmm. for colors. Yeah, there's, I've got some too. There's a scene where Cindy, who's the main character, she uh, she finds the woman who's cheating with her boyfriend. For the first like three quarters of the movie, we only knew her name was like, started with a D. For a while, they I think they thought it was Desiree. They're like, Desiree, yeah. Dinah. They go find her. Her name is Dinah. And Cindy is like, there's a scene where she's dragging Dinah by the arm and they're rounding this wall. It's like a graffitied wall and the wall is curved and the camera's mm-hmm. in front of Cindy and she's walking into the camera. So there's all these vibrant colors and the scene lasts only a few seconds. All this colors and it's kind of like rushing at you and it's moving. And there's another scene similar when Dinah at the end is walking back to her motel mm-hmm. and she's walking in front of a wall with all these Christmas lights. Yeah. And I don't know if they're using a special lens, but it kind of looks curved and there's this curving like motion. It's like, there's a woman, these are sex trade workers and the whole story takes place pretty much on the street. Yeah. And so you have all the colors and very prominently the names of stores and shops and things that aren't necessarily aesthetically pleasing, but blended well into the whole visual aspect of this movie. Yeah, the backdrop was really nice because they made L.A. and life on the streets in L.A. almost seem like a theater set, like it was fake. And the life that these women had to spend outside all day, all the time, it's like the sun would always be in their eyes and the buildings were so bright and so contrasty and everything was always just hitting them at once. And that's kind of part of why I feel like they had to dress so vibrantly and kind of outrageously to compete almost with all the atmosphere that's already going on in LA. I felt like my favorite scenes were during the day when the film had kind of like a dusky or dawny kind of tint to it. Like the sun was always seemed like the sun was rising or setting. Yeah, it was always magic hour. That's magic hour in photography. (laughs) (laughs) My third favorite visual scene, and I never thought I would say this as a strict uh, 
vegetarian, I have to say that the blow, the, the, oh, the yeah. blowjob in the car wash was actually um, visually stunning. Yeah, it was. <laughs> it was my of my blowjob scenes I've seen in movies. Top this ten blowjob scenes. This this is it. This is it was pretty amazing. And I have to wonder how many people after seeing this movie are like, hey, that's a pretty good idea. My well, car needs to get washed. I was mainly impressed because it was continuous too. So I don't know how long the iPhone can film for. Because it's basically, it just, it, there's no cuts. It's the whole length of the car wash. I was more impressed with like perfectly timed blowjob. Well, she's a professional. We're getting sidetracked by visuals and colors, but I don't think anyone would disagree that those are very prominent, prominent noteworthy uh, subjects of the theme. But let's get into the characters a little bit and talk about this movie. The thing that stands out a lot to me was the interwoven aspects of female friendship on various levels. You have... Cindy, who just got out of prison, and she meets her best friend, Alexandra. Mm-hmm. They're both transgendered sex trade workers. And, and they both work for Chester, Cindy's boyfriend slash pimp, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, so you get to see their relationship. So you have transgendered issues. You have but you have the sex trade subculture. And poverty, yeah. like this movie <laughs> is nothing like Pretty Woman. <laughs> There's no wealthy Richard Gere coming in, swooping in to take Julia Roberts off the streets and to Rodeo Drive for like a shopping spree. Well, we did have a rich guy in a fancy car who <laughs> behaved pretty much exactly as you would expect him to. <laughs> but this movie, it's about real world issues. Like take finances, for example. It opens up with the two women splitting a donut in the restaurant, Donut Time, which is... It begins and ends at Donut Time. <laughs> yeah, and they're splitting a donut... Because that's all they can afford. Alexandra's telephone is shut off because she couldn't afford to pay the phone bill. She had to pay the rent. And there's a, one of my favorite scenes when they're in the club where Alexandra is performing. Cindy and Dinah want a drink, but they have no money. And the waitress offers them water. And they're like, is it free? And it was funny, but at the same time, very sad. It's these very are sad, yeah. These are real world issues. They're, they're at a club to see their friend, but they can't even pay for a glass of water. And this is how they live their life just kind of stringing along whatever they can find, whatever cash they can get, whatever food they can find. And one thing that I like about this movie is that it's always in motion. The entire movie start to finish is people walking, walking after each other, people chasing after each other, following along. And we start with Cindy and Alexandra talking. And then as soon as Cindy's like, I'm going to go after that, you know, that bitch who's got my man, Alexandra's following her. And then we kind of split from there into different people having their own motion. And then we kind of check back in when they're at different points and some of them collide and some of them don't. You probably have to keep moving so the cops don't get you. <laughs> you find your next job, the next way that you're going to survive out there. Right. If they're not working, they don't have backup incomes. And they're always moving towards a car. They're always walking towards a car or taking the bus because cars are where they primarily do their job and only in parked cars too. They're always in motion until they finally get to either eat or work. And then they're back out in the world. And rarely is there a scene other than the, the like kind of sidebars for the cab driver, Rosmick, when they follow him and his family. But when people aren't in motion, when they're actually like sitting still in donut time or in there's like a Mexican restaurant where one of the other pimps, Nash, works, the characters might be standing still, but there's a commotion going on. Yeah. So it's almost like there's always like a whirlwind. There is motion because there's the, dr- the motion of the drama. Mm-hmm circling around they can't them. sit still and just have a conversation and yeah it's hilarious at the end of the movie especially that's highlighted that these characters are in constant conflict and constant <laughs> emotion 
A little interesting trivia about this is that the actresses, you have Cinderella, who is played by Katana Kiki Rodriguez, and Alexandra, who is played by Maya Taylor. They are both transgendered actresses, and they both were formerly sex trade workers. Mm. And Maya Taylor was actually discovered by Sean Baker outside of the LA LGBT Center. He wanted to make this movie, but he didn't want to just be like this white guy's version of what he thinks transgendered sex workers do. So he approached Maya, who was an actress and an entertainer, and she enlisted Kiki. And so the whole movie was a collaborative process. They had an outline for the movie, but basically Sean Baker interviewed these women and got their input. That's why the dialogue is so Mm -hmm. good because apparently they started out with like a loose script and dialogue. I don't know that they necessarily improvised, but they had feedback and they had input on it. And it was actually Kiki Rodriguez's idea to have the plot of the woman scorned. So this movie is very impressive because it has input from people who like know what they're talking about. They've lived this life. And that's really impressive to see these women who have never really been in movies before, at least, you know, don't have any IMDb credits. I thought it was interesting too. Did you notice that the Duplass brothers produced it? Yes. Mark and Jay were fans of their their movies. Absolutely. Previous podcast, The One I Love. Yeah, you have to give a shout out to people, especially men and, you know, Hollywood where women still aren't necessarily getting a fair shake and much less transgendered women getting a quality role that's very real because this movie, it is a comedy drama, but an impressive part about it is how it balances the humor and the drama. It takes clearly these women's mechanism for coping with life in a very harsh world, but it is funny and it's telling a serious story without actually belittling or mocking the characters. Well, one thing I really like the fact that it was Cindy, her actual idea, because you see so many plots in male-driven movies where a guy's released from prison and he's found out that his woman has been shacking up with someone like a best friend and so he's out for revenge. I feel like that's happened several times in films, but you haven't seen the reverse. So good for her for thinking. I mean, it's almost a faux documentary style movie and it, rather than it focusing on how hard it is for these women living on the streets, which it is, that was the side plot because these women do have agency. They do have something they're doing with their days and they do have friends and they do have fights but it's not it doesn't define them that they're working on the street it's just an aspect of their life yeah I like it because it also it felt like like a French movie which is very much like I always describe you know French artsy fartsy movies as slice of life kind of movies you always feel like you just kind of walked in on someone's life (laughs) and you're fine oh here I am (laughs) and you're like following them around there was parts in this movie where like oh I feel like I shouldn't be here it's like invasive it's so personal But you follow Cindy from the time she's released from prison. It's continuous. It's just several hours long. And it's what happens this Christmas Eve. And, you know, you said the story has been done with men finding the woman who done him wrong kind of Mm -hmm. thing. But they don't have the same challenges that these women do. Which I think is also a really interesting way to develop the characters and the women. Because they're introduced as really good friends. And then they split and you get to learn a little bit more about them. And then when they come back together, Alexandra has a performance. And Cindy makes sure, even though she found Dinah and she's going to do whatever, she's going to beat the shit out of her. She's like... (laughs) And Cindy says, fuck her, today's about you. So she dragged her all the way to the performance to make sure... That she at least had two people in the crowd to listen to her sing. Uber, I'm tired as hell. I didn't think I was going to get here on time. What the fuck is this? Don't draw. Am I, how late am I? I think I'm like five minutes late. Five minutes late, right? What did you do to her? Don't worry about her. You got to go on stage. Come on. Okay. 
Look, my friends are here. Come on, come, just come on. Now, how you doing? This one has one shoe. She's from the hill. She's hillbilly. Come on, girl. That was something that, again, is like the brilliant way they balance the humor and the drama. You're in the middle of this really intense scene on the bus. <laughs> Monica's just took another sip of that wine. And it's very intense because Cindy is wailing on Dinah. And it was kind of a pathetic, flaccid, crack whore, <laughs> crack whore kind of fight. Very, it was never real. It was very, as much energy as like Dinah and her skinny little you know noodle oh, arms. Oh, Dinah skin. is really scary to watch because she is the definition of a crack whore. She's so two seconds away from just being a ghost. She's so skinny and so white, and she's a real actress. I was concerned for her health this whole movie. I just got sidetracked talking about Dinah. She's played by Mickey O'Hagan, and she has actually been in two other movies by Sean Baker, Starlet, and Prince of Broadway. I have to say, she was my unexpected favorite. When she came on, I was like, oh, my God. You know, it was really pathetic. You know, when Cindy sees her, she's just, she's dragging her by her hair. She's smacking her. She's literally pulling her through the streets on And she's on the wearing bus. her PJs. Yeah. And she's wearing flip-flops. And poor Dinah has one sandal on, one flip-flop. Oh, just one, yeah. Through the whole, <laughs> the whole movie. So, but she ended up surprising me she had fantastic quotes i thought she was just gonna end up like getting beaten down or knocked unconscious but she turned out to be a little fighter and was very feisty and she you know said a lot of things to other characters that (laughs) she said something at the end to the degree at which um alexander responded bitch i'm losing sympathy for you by the minute (laughs) like i was on your side seeing you drag through the streets i cindy this whole time But back to the female friendships and the dynamic between Cindy and Alexandra, you know, Cindy's wailing on Dinah on the bus and she's right in the middle of this really intense violent moment. She's like, oh shit, what time is it? I got to go see my friend play. That's the kind of dynamic and friendship that they had. But of course, as soon as Cindy gets to the club, she's off in the bathroom smoking crack mm-hmm. with Dinah. Yeah, they have a weird, uh, they have a weird, weird soft moment. I think Cindy like hits her or shoves her or something, and then she feels bad. And there's a great moment. I mean, this is also amazing that these women haven't acted before. Well, not Cindy. Kiki. Katana Kiki Rodriguez. Katana. We'll call her Kiki. Yeah. She just has this great expression where her face slowly changes. And I know she's like, hi. And she's kind of processing things slowly, but it's almost like she realizes that she's beating up on this girl and maybe it's not all the girl's fault and maybe she shouldn't be because she's such a pathetic creature. And then she very slowly reaches over and wipes off all the makeup and dirt on her face and even like gives her some lipstick. She puts makeup on her. Yeah. And it was such a soothing, almost motherly moment that she was taking care of her for a second. It was just seconds either before or after she went to the bathroom and then wiped her hands and and Dinah's hair. (laughs) But as Cindy pointed out on the bus, when Dinah's like not backing down, because Dinah has a great quote, one of my favorite quotes. She says, you know, me getting dragged around this city is not as sad as you sitting at home thinking you're Chester's girlfriend. Mm. But that's what's cool about this movie. It's like a back and forth. They have a real dramatic moment, and then they'll have like a real soft kind of gentle scene, like Cindy putting makeup on Dinah. As Cindy pointed out to Dinah, she said, we're buddies now. We both suck the same cock. <laughs> Fine, we're buddies now. We're buddies. We, we suck the same cock. Oh, it's so great. When Alexandra's going around through the city, she's kind of making the rounds of all these corners with women that she knows who are working and passing out her flyers for her show, and they all kind of snap at each other in a sassy way. Towards the end, when they see Cindy, and they're like, oh, she's coming back from prison. She's already starting drama. The contrast between the 
really dramatic fight scenes and then the tender moments, it's probably just, it's too exhausting to be fighting all the time. Their life is so stressful that they do have to clash and then forgive each other and then clash. I think that's also a testament to Cindy and Alexandra's friendship. You're talking about following Alexandra around and meeting like different sex trade workers um, on the street in the quest to find out. Like Alexandra was trying to find Cindy, Cindy was trying to find Dinah, the mm-hmm. girl. But every time they would bump into other women on the street, a lot of the exchanges were negative or catty, or the, the women would be nice to them while they were talking yeah, to them. As soon as they'd girly. walk away, they would be very nasty. And so you realize how special Alexandra and Cindy's relationship is because they're not competitive with each other. They had their moments, but they stuck by each other. Or you could see they had very few allies on the street. Well, Alexandra especially, it was so beautiful seeing her following Cindy around because she would argue with her, but then she'd just be kind of silently supportive of whatever she did do. She wasn't a pushover or anything, but she would just physically be there for her as much as she could. And it was nice to see Cindy return the favor by going to the show. Alexandra did throw her hands up and be like, that's it, I'm out of here. Yeah. At one point, she did leave, but she She waited for her for a while. She did. So there were, besides Alexandra and Cindy, the story would deviate off to Rasmic, this cab driver. (sighs) And for a while, we didn't know his name. So I was like, is this Chester? Is this supposed to be Chester? Mm. No, he's not the pimp and a cab driver. So the story is following him around and all these experiences, most of them horrific or just weird or kind of sad of the people that he would pick up in his cab. Yeah, we have the, the woman with the invisible dog, the woman with the Hello Kitty selfie, <laughs> the drunk old passenger. Mia is not a girl's <laughs> name. It's not, it's, not a, it's not a feminine name. <laughs> the two That's Clue Gallagher. He's actually an old, older, famous actor, so it was fun to see him. That's now. what? His What's name it? is Clue Gallagher. Oh, he's a Gallagher. Pretty impressive puking scene also. It was, it was very disgusting. And I mean, he went to the car wash, but he didn't have the inside of the no. car detailed. So I'm like... The funniest was the <laughs> cab fare he got after yeah, that woman. The, the vomiting guys. He kicked them out. She's the next one was some young girl. She's like, dude, your cab reeks. Yeah, <laughs> she's trying to hold a present. I'm trying to imagine like in the heat of LA, sitting Ugh. in a cab that had just been puked in. That's just disgusting. Didn't add anything to the tangerine feel, but it was well. Then ergo, the air freshener. Yes. So. I was trying to figure out, why are we following Rosmick around? At first, I thought he was in love with Alexandra or her type because he picks up this very pretty young woman that he hopes is transgendered and turns out she's not, as the the ladies on the street would call, a real fish. (laughs) And he's disgusted by the fact that she has female genitalia and kicks her out. He's like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. It's like a pussy. (laughs) So at first, I thought he was, that was just his particular taste. Then he hooked up with Alexandra, and then we kind of find out towards the end that he's in love with Cindy. Or just obsessed with her. Yeah, or maybe just obsessed Because with when they have the big blowout at donut time, you know, Chester says, you know, Cindy's not available. He runs up and kind of grabs Dinah. He's like, are you available? He, I don't know what he is. I, I didn't have a lot of sympathy for him. I was kind of conflicted about Rosmick, actually, because on one hand, he seemed really unlikable. I base that on mostly the fact that he was kind of brutish to some of the women. Like he liked Alexandra and Cindy and to get what he want, he was nice to them. And they, you know, Alexandra seemed to have a fondness for him, but he was very rough with the real fish. Yeah. (laughs) 
he was kind of a dick to Dinah. I mean, she flipped him off as soon as he proposed to her. Yeah. I think he was sad and pathetic because he clearly was closeted, whether or not he's closet homosexual or he was just attracted to transgendered women. We don't know. I don't necessarily see him as a villain because when the whole blowout scene happens at the end, you know, his mother-in-law kind of outs him to his family and Rosmick's wife is kind of more annoyed that, but, that it's out in the open. Yeah. She says, I know my husband well enough. He's doing the minimum what he has to do to support his family. He can't even stand to spend Christmas Eve dinner with them before he rushes out to find another prostitute. So, yeah. And it was kind of refreshing that his wife didn't really mind. It was more she was annoyed that she was confronted with that drama that her mom was time. making her. Yeah was forcing her to deal with it because she's kind of like, we already have this arrangement and it sucks, but whatever, I'm fine with it. But I just didn't, I didn't get the point of him. I mean, maybe there was no point. I mean, like you said, it's slice of life. It's just, these are the kind of people they'd interact with and cabbies are another one who are, instead of walking around all day, they're always in motion driving around. Mm. All of these characters are just, they're just the physical embodiments of LA moving around. They don't really go anywhere. I didn't think about the fact, yeah, his cab is always in motion. So yeah, that goes to the whole, you know, dynamic of moving colors. I was Driving just that one... tangerine around. <laughs> the big tangerine. The, the puke tangerine. I guess it was just to follow the side of the John. Is that what he's called? The, yeah. The John. So you have them following the sex trade workers, but also him. And he wasn't compared to some of the other men in the movie because there's really only three men. You have Chester, Mm -hmm. who we get to see at the end, and you have Nash, who's another pimp, and Rosmick. And that was kind of nice, too, that there weren't that many, that the pimp didn't have a big role. He had a good role. (laughs) I couldn't wait. I couldn't wait. I knew you would love him. As soon as I saw him, I was like, oh, this reminds me of the pimp from um, Girl Walks Home Alone at night. The drug dealer. He wasn't a pimp. I liked him. With him and all his neck tattoos. Well, I was like, to say is, I liked him was a different... I, but yeah. they built it up. This movie built it up so well. But first of all, I was like, the reveal. Who is Dinah? Because it was Alexandra who told Cindy that Chester was having an affair. Yeah. And so once we find out that there's another woman, you know, first of all, what's her name? And then it's like, who is she? And is when we see who she is, she's like, oh, this scrawny, pathetic crack whore. And then it's like, well, now who's Chester? I could not wait <laughs> to see Chester. I was worried it would be like a waiting for Guffman thing where they would never show him. You just see the back of his head or he's like Charlie and Charlie's Angels. Yeah, so I didn't know what to expect. So the character of Chester, who is played by James Ransom, he actually has a link to Baltimore because that's where our podcast is recorded. Yeah, in Charm City. He is actually born and raised in Baltimore, and he is probably known for work he did on The Wire. He played a character named Ziggy Sabatka. Oh, duh. Why didn't I recognize him from The Wire? He was fast. When when we finally get to see him, I was like, oh, yes, that is Chester. But you had, like, stereotypes. I did not expect Chester to be, like, the white kind of homeboy-looking guy who I guess it was supposed to be a surprise for Alexander that he was Cindy's fiancé. She didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I uh, have to stop you there because I have to make an announcement. This wine, we do not endorse. It is so painfully sweet that we can't, we barely uh, touched our glasses and we've had to swap out. Sweet bitch was too sweet for us. It was a sweet bitch. All right. So on to choice number two. Wine number two. It's a grapefruit rosé. It's all the way on the counter. I don't know. Let's cheers to this. <laughs> the wine, take two. This may be the longest we've recorded without drinking really oh, any wine until yeah. now. That was a harsh reality, right? <laughs> Talk about real world issues. Our Talk about work. two white women drinking really bad wine. <laughs> Talking about transgendered sex trade workers. Can you believe we had to talk about that sober? <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. I think 
sweet bitch has ruined my palate for the rest rest of my life. Oh no, I'll never drink wine again. <laughs> that grapefruit really hits you. It looks more tangerine than sweet bitch. Fuck yeah. that sweet bitch. Oh, fuck it. Oh, but where right. were we? Chester. So we finally get to meet Chester, and he's everything we could have every- for and more. <laughs> Speaking of colors, when they all reconnoiter at the donut time again, it's bright and vibrant primary colors. Did you notice that? It's oh, all yeah. reds and yellows and blues. What everyone's wearing, tables and chairs in there, it's just all very vibrant. It's very harsh, so the lighting is harsh, and it's not like the soft outside. Because we're at night, and so it's inside fluorescent lights. Another little trivia that I can't help but say, which some of the things, the making of this film astound me is how smoothly it went uh, when they shot at these public locations like Donut Time and the other restaurant and even on the bus, they didn't shut the businesses down. Oh, okay. So, I mean, they obviously got permission to shoot there. If people would come in, apparently in the big blowout at Donut Time at the end, there were customers coming in and out and and they were filming afterwards, Sean Baker or somebody from the filming crew would say, here's what we're doing. We're making a movie. If you want to be in it, can you sign this release, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I'm sure if I walked in and that was happening, I would you know, walk right out. Yeah, but the woman working there was an actress, right? She had a credit at the end, but I didn't research her, so so I don't know. I mean, there there were obviously clearly legit actors and actresses in the movie, so yeah. I, uh, shame on me for not looking up Mama-san. Because she was great. She was. Get the fuck out. <laughs> <laughs> asking He's for like a romantically says to Cindy, let's, I'll, I'll buy you a Christmas donut. Let's make up over this Christmas. I don't know why I'm having like a New York accent. Hey, yo, let's get this donut. He looks like and he she's would like, speak um, I don't know. And she's like, do you have watermelon? And she's just like, like no. flavor you'd ask for in a donut. That killed me. <laughs> and Mama Sam was not having it. Mm-mm. She was just like, no. Yeah. She's like, I have another customer. So and she probably really did. Yeah. So, so at so, this point, all, all Cindy's had is two donuts. One and a half donuts. And a little bit of crack. A little bit of crack. And some free water. So to kind of circle back to female friendships, we have Alexandra and Cindy. So Alexandra drops the bomb on Cindy when she gets, I know, she gets out of, she gets out of prison and it's Alexandra who kind of accidentally tells Cindy, she assumes that Cindy knew that Chester was always cheating on her. Now, I don't remember. Did she hint about it because she was trying to confess? Well, here's how the scene unfolded. And, you know, I don't know the intention because, you know, at the end there is a big reveal, which I was totally shocked because I did not see it coming, Mm -hmm. which I love when a movie surprises me and it's not predictable. But at the beginning, Cindy gets out and she's meeting with Alexandra, don't have time. And she's saying, you know, girl, I have some news about me and Chester and Cindy's excited. Alexandra says, oh, you dumped him? Immediately is like, oh, you dumped him? Thank goodness. She was telling about how he's a dog and he cheated on her. And Cindy's like, wait a minute, what? Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I think she would. Yeah. I think we she don't would've. know if Alexandra had motivation. Like she was, she wanted Cindy to get away with Chester because what the big reveal is going to be. Or if she just maybe honestly knew. We don't we don't know a lot of that. But Cindy clearly did not know Chester was cheating on her. Alexandra did not know the news about Chester was that they were going to get married. Mm-hmm. We find out through all the ordeal after... Dragon Dinah through the streets. Poor Dinah. One or one flip-flop. But Chester did have an affair with her, but he... Have an affair. I mean, it could sound all... He did have sex with her, but he also had sex with Alexandra. So when that happened, I remember... I was like, what? Yeah. What was really interesting about this, so we have when Cindy finds out there's another woman at the beginning, she goes 
into a rage and raging against anybody on the street, cussing, and she doesn't care. She's just like taking her energy with her. When she finds out that Alexandra slept with Chester, Cindy's response is just more disturbing because it's it's quiet. Mm-hmm. It's silence. She doesn't rage at her. She doesn't say anything. She just leaves. She just turns yeah, around and leaves. That, that was the heartbreaking moment. It's like you expected her to wail because when, when they find that out, Diana's like, oh, <laughs> you're going to get your ass beat. You're right. going to get worse than I got. She's hoping. Yeah. There was. <laughs> I want to go back to the blowout at the donut time because that scene... It ends in the big reveal, yeah, and that's when Cindy leaves. But before that, there's they're arguing for a long time. But before that, it's all this back and forth, and it's great because you really get a sense of their relationship. Where I don't know, Chester kind of respects Cindy, and he does love her, and he you know says that he still wants to marry her and all this stuff. And so they go back and forth between. He's got her name tattooed on, on his, his chest. heart. Yeah, He's like you know, it's on my heart. You can tell that he does love her in his weird way, and she loves him. But and he doesn't I, consider I like, it cheating. He doesn't treat her like he treats Dinah. He treats Dinah like, bitch, shut up. <laughs> Everything she says, he's like, stop talking. I own you. You don't get to say anything. And she still talks. But <laughs> He won't even give Dinah a cab fare to get home. Oh, he's like, oh, yeah, that cab guy just end. left. That Man. scene is so amazing. It's very overwhelming. And everybody's talking at once. And I had the subtitles on and I just kept watching it. There's all this emotion you have. And my reaction to the characters, because you have Rosmix coming in. His meddlesome mother-in-law's there. The wife's there. She brings a crying baby. You have Dinah and Alexandra and Cindy and Chester. And all these people are fighting. And poor Mama San behind the counter. No, no. He don't do my drugs. I just fuck all these bitches. He fuck my bitches. Are you crazy? Prostitution? No. How you say that shit in Russian? So you have people who are angry. Rosmick and Chester are being kind of, you know, bullish and brutish. And then you kind of feel sorry for some of the characters. And then you're kind of embarrassed for some of the others. And then you're laughing at the others. There's so much crazy dialogue going on. And I was trying to write down quotes and I was like, I can't, I can't get them all. But before Rasmus gets there, it was nice because it was, again, a reflection of earlier in the movie where they would all be screaming and then they would all calm down because it was too exhausting to keep fighting throughout. And what I like, too, is that Alexandra, one of the reasons I love her so much is she was just sitting in the background. She was observing everyone and making these amazing little quips every now and then. But she was acting like it was a totally normal thing because they kept like getting up and almost fighting and sitting down and arguing. And she was just <laughs> watching the show. She does have some pretty good lines in the yeah. background when the <laughs> when Rosmik's mother-in-law's in and she's speaking in you uh, Armenian Armenian yeah and obviously uh, Rosmik is the only one who understands what she's saying and you hear all this there's all this banter multiple fights going on and, 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 and Alexandra you know when the mother mother-in-law comes in and she's just you know ranting in Armenian Alexandra's like is she talking about me I'm gonna fuck her up. <laughs> You know, your your first impression when you hear someone speaking in a foreign language, you're like, are they talking about me? <laughs> and then Diana's in the background. She's like, throw a donut at her. <laughs> well, and when the wife, when Rasmick's wife shows up, <laughs> Cindy says, you should apologize for taking her to a fucked up hairdresser. <laughs> and then the mother-in-law walks in and Cindy's like, oh, you girls, you, Alexander, you guys shop at the same store. Yes, she was excited. She's like, I like that blouse. Dude, and she's wearing it better than you, too. <laughs> So there's all this humor, but at the same time, it's like high drama and funny. But again, as I said, it doesn't belittle or mock the characters. Yeah. 
it is hilarious and it is very tragic all at the same time and how they manage to do this because I often don't like when a movie I feel like a movie should be serious and then they're funny at inappropriate times I don't like when a character in a movie will say shoot or kill somebody and then they'll tell it like right. a quippy joke there's a fine balance to it like Shaun of the Dead or something like that but it's like well, this is you have to set the tone too but how they keep this like fast and crazy every line that is uttered in that blowout scene and don't time is just brilliant yeah and it's so fast and it's so witty but it's also just part of their language and it's crushing because rosmic is he's got the big reveal i don't care about him i don't think his thing was crushing (laughs) i suppose as i can't speak on behalf of people who are transgendered but as someone who is gay and knows what it's like to have to have been closeted Mm -hmm. some younger people especially people living in urban areas don't understand what it means, or in living in foreign countries where Rosmick had to be closeted and he moved his family here and he is forced to support them and it's a very unhappy, miserable life where he can't even stand to be with them and is rushing out to the streets yeah. to satisfy his needs and you might think he's selfish, but at the same time, he's still supporting this family. Maybe those quiet moments of following him were a balance to some of the chaos. The few scenes with Rosmick were more toned down and a little Yeah, and even quieter. at the end when everyone is screaming at each other, he's still trying to keep his cool and trying to keep everyone quiet and composed. But, of course, his wife brings the screaming baby into the mix and mm-hmm. just makes everything more dramatic. I did notice a quote from Rosmick, another reason that's like why I'm conflicted about him. And I don't know if you're supposed to like him or dislike him. That's probably too black and white. But he gets really mad at the mother-in-law and he's like, look what you did, see what you did. And at first I was like, oh, he's not taking responsibility for his actions. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, she was a busybody if she had just minded her own business. Yeah, she insisted on making another cabbie find him. (laughs) We don't know the wife's story, she might have had her own private secret life. Might have just been a marriage of convenience. Yeah. But it was interesting because all the characters are very complex. Yeah, and I I like that Chester wasn't blatantly sexist or homophobic. In fact, the opposite, when he tells Cindy he still wants to get married and Dinah calls him out, she's like, I just thought you were like half homophobic. I forget how she phrased her half. (laughs) When she finds out that Chester is engaged to Cindy, she's like, you just went from half fag to full fag. yeah. It was nice because he didn't, you would think he'd put on like a chauvinist persona and like maybe. It's like, here's this guy. I just thought I was impressed that he was both respectful and disrespectful of women at the same time and both like, I don't know, it it wasn't one note. Yeah. So it was more complicated. Their relationship was complicated. I could see why Cindy liked him. Yeah. You couldn't just love or hate the characters because they were all complex. Even Cindy. Cindy could be quite, because there were times where she was just, clearly she was mean to Dinah. But the scene that, like, disturbed me about Cindy is when she's trying to find the other woman. She's questioning some poor old guy who apparently looks like Santa Claus without a beard, I think they said, (laughs) who's standing in a food line at a food pantry on Christmas Eve. She questions him about where Chester is. And as soon as he tells her, she knocks the food out of his hand. And I was like, oh, she's just some poor, possibly homeless bastard getting his free meal from the food pantry. And she just knocked his food out of his hand and mm. his Christmas meal is gone. I, little things like that kind of bothered me. I mean, yes, she was in a rage and stuff like that, but she was taking it out on this. Oh, let's talk about uh, visual but yet shocking scenes while we're before we completely leave the drama of the blowout of donut time. It was a scene that happened before. The raid on the party room when Cindy actually discovers Dinah. It happened early. 
There were bare asses, balls, boobs, and bumps. That was it. Was like up in a filthy motel room, and it was four or five different rooms. And somebody was getting it on somewhere. Even in the shower is where she finds Dinah and some disgusting guy. This big blonde woman is kind of like the bouncer of the sex party. It was so gross. Yeah, that was really. And that was. I I feel like most of the stuff in that scene was people were wearing white, and even Dinah comes out in white. It was kind of yeah. It's like blues and dingy, and everything looked dirty and everything. But it's interesting how the interiors were very different. Yeah, because everything was very washed out, I feel like. And Dinah herself was so washed like out. It was cold like, and harsh. Like her life had been sucked out of her. Like I said, she was almost a ghost. Whereas on the opposite, Cindy was so full of color, even being in the same line of work. And so was Alexandra. Some of the things I want to mention too, how the cops kind of interacted with Alexandra briefly, because we don't get to see much of the cops. The lesbian cop? Scene. A yeah. realistic cop, not like Hollywood CSI <laughs> or anything like some sexy woman actress. I'm like, well, that's what police officers that I know look like. Yeah. It's like, and she was compassionate. Well, yeah, they basically this asshole who tries to take Alexandra. He offers her money and then he's kind of... <laughs> Lisa's sneaking over to get the, the grapefruit wine. The backup wine. Yeah, he wants he wants a blowjob, right? I forget. I'm botching this whole scene. Anyway, so well, basically, oh, I know, I know oh, what happens. Okay. Well, he okay, wants like a BBB and J, which I didn't know what I was that like, mean. My bareback blowjob is what I guess because he didn't want to uh-huh. do a condom, right? And I was like, that's I was dangerous. just ready to say an innocent girl like me wouldn't even know what that means, but Monica just rolled, <laughs> rolled that off her tongue right I as spent, she knew. spent a lot of time oh, recently. Oh, a BBB and J? Oh, <clears throat> that. Well, let me just tell you what that is. I was like, PB and J? I'm hungry. You're all innocent. I know. Yeah. So Something that's like for a, nothing. An unsafe sexual act. And so they made a compromise. But basically, he tried to stiff her, pun intended. Trying to like intimidate her, rough her up. And then she said, you forget that I have a dick too. That is the badass moment yeah. for me of the film. Get, get, get the fuck Give me the, give me the no, fucking no, key. No. Wait. You forget I got a dick too. It's one of my favorite scenes, I do think, but definitely one of my favorite quotes in the Bennett scene. It's funny to watch the dynamic, like Alexandra, she she plays the dick card when she needs it, because mm-hmm. <laughs> this guy is, thinks he's going to rough her up. Yeah. And she's like, uh, yeah, I'm not like every other girl. And then you have like the softer, kind of sadder moment when Alexandra is talking to Cindy and she says, you know, the world can be a really cruel place. And Cindy says... Yeah, God gave me a penis. Isn't that cruel? Yeah, that's pretty damn cruel. And although it sounded delivered like a joke, it was very sad. So here are these women who don't have enough money for a whole donut, but are trying to be true to themselves and be the women that they were born to be. Yeah, and they support each other too in the beginning. I forget who says it to who, Cindy or Alexandra. Like good. She's like, you slimmed down so much, you know, you could pass. And she's like, I just got to get rid of these arms. She's <laughs> like, I, yeah, she's like, you got boobs. She's mm-hmm. taking estrogen for the boobs. She's yeah, I got to break down her arms. But, but yeah. And both of these women are dropped-dead gorgeous. I know. I think they tried to make them look trashy, but they're gorgeous. Alexandra reminds the John who he didn't want to pay her, even mm-hmm. though he made her touch his dirty ass, <laughs> his dirty balls. Ugh. But then at the end, Cindy doesn't want to take her wig off because it's so who they are. And it's like they're stripped of themselves and they're taking off this wig. Probably the most obvious 
part of the outfit that you can take off that's so much a part of your identity. Mm-hmm. You know, when you think about even, like even as a girl getting my hair cut, and like we were talking about with Mavi and Rose, it can be traumatic when your hair is so much a part of your identity, and especially for, for women, it is. It's kind of a symbol of femininity. Yeah, and Mavi and, and Rose... Having that taken from you. For people who hadn't seen it, it's about a transgendered girl as a child, Ludovic, and as an act of punishment, Ludovic's mother cut her hair, mm-hmm. like buzzed it short so that Ludovic looked like a boy, not a girl. Yeah, so at the it's, end of this one, yeah, yeah. Cindy's, she's forced to take off her whole outfit and get cleaned up because filthy assholes on the street. That was They're so sad. Visit her, yes. That's another example how this movie kind of goes up and down and up and down. So you have the big reveal. Alexandra has betrayed. So you have the female friendship, which you see them standing by each other. But then there's the element of betrayal. And we're not sure how Cindy's going to react because she, for the first time in the movie, is like she's had being surprised that Chester cheated on her with somebody finding out that Alexandra had also done it. Yeah. Alexandra is trying to follow Cindy, and Cindy's Again. trying to score, and car full of stupid guys pull up and throw a bottle of piss Who in, has in that her in face. Their car? Well, if you've walked around the streets like... of Baltimore, you see <laughs> bottles that people, presumably men, have pissed in, and you assume that they're drunk or riding around and can't find a bathroom, so they pee. Ugh. I suppose if you're running around, you've got a penis and you got a cup. So a bunch of guys threw a cup full of piss into Cindy's face, on her hair, all of her clothes, and she was so upset. Even in her moment of trauma, she didn't want to lose the piss yeah. wig. Yeah. But then we see in an abrupt, almost putting the brakes on, everything else that happened. Alexandra comes up to her and is there for her immediately. Well, Alexandra's been following her. Yeah. Again, like the beginning of the movie, she's following her, kind of looking out for her and trying to beg her forgiveness. And because that happens... Cindy is weakened to the point. She's had a really tough day. I mean, she just got out of prison and all of this has happened to her. And so she's vulnerable enough that Alexander can swoop in and be like, let me take care of you. Fully take care of her. Kind of like what Cindy had started to do for Dinah a little bit. Show her care and affection and how much she loved her by cleaning her up and then offering her a wig. I would just want to say that. That is, made me cry. <laughs> it made me cry that. That was the ultimate ending of that movie. It was so quiet. And again, you have in the laundromat, they're stripping down. Mm -hmm. And again, Cindy didn't want to lose her wig. She didn't want to really want to take off her clothes because it was so much of who she was. And Alexandra's wiping her off, cleaning her off. And when Alexandra, you know, passes the wig, the passing of the wig was just... And I think she's like, bitch, that even looks good on you. It looks better on you. Yeah. That actually looks good on you. Now, for me, it's so gorgeous. And it's just a, a very quiet moment. Again, it's very harsh, like a harsh reality set in the laundromat. There aren't the pretty colors. It's just very cold and sterile. And they've been stripped of their wigs and, and, and their identities, and, really. And for Alexandra to give up her wig mm-hmm. to Cindy, and then Cindy despite everything, reaches over and, and takes Alexandra's hand. And that yeah. is just, that's beautiful. This movie surprised me. I, I had no idea really what it was about. I have a tendency to just put movies in my queue or, <laughs> or watch them without really reading much about it. And I didn't know that it was about transgendered sex trade workers. It's a that's fantastic right. movie. I do, there are a couple of quotes I still want to say before we Do end. you have... <laughs> Yeah, a favorite quote or a favorite scene that we haven't well, we've already, discussed. We've already mentioned our favorite scenes, I think. Oh, actually, one scene, and this was towards the beginning of the movie and more just in relating to the whole color palette and sunsets or sunrises. There's a really cool shot. 
Cindy had separated from Alexandra. I don't think Alexandra was following her at this point in the beginning. And there was a cool shot from behind a bus bench of Cindy looking around frantically, trying to make a decision about what she was going to do. You could tell it was like she had so much energy and momentum, but she didn't know where to go or what she should do. And again, I mean, this movie is all about motion. So when it's stunted, it's very frenetic. Like they have to do something. And so that's when... I liked her in that kind it's of It's disorienting. Limbo. You have the movement and then it's like stops and you're like, yeah. oh, what's going on? And this what's is when happen? she thinks about it. She's like, do I really want to do this? Do I want to risk my parole? Do I want to ruin my engagement? You don't know. There's just so many, you know, she's barely eaten anything. She should be looking for work. It's just all these things. And then she just decides to go. It's kind of like in Run, Lola, Run. I'm going to keep referencing our past episodes so that listeners go back and listen. But we did an episode on Run, Lola, Run where as soon as she gets a phone call at the beginning, she has to decide and the room is spinning and you just know she has to go, go, go. And she takes a while before she finally kicks it into gear. Because when she goes, she can't stop. But other quotes I liked. Do you have any quotes that you... I think I might have talked about pretty much anything that is said during the Donut Time blowout. Yeah. And I have to say pretty much everything that Dinah says. I thought Dinah... <laughs> She was my favorite character. Like when they were talking about aliens outside Donut Time, they take, yes. a, they take a smoke break and start talking about aliens. Another one of my favorite scenes that didn't have any dialogue, and again, this was like the transition. You had like really funny, really dramatic, and then like really quiet, but yet kind of profound moments. So Dinah, who's in everybody's face, and she proved that she was pretty oh, fucking yeah. tough, is when all is said and done, the blowout happens, Chester won't even help her get a ride home. She has to walk, we assume, all the way to the other blocks, end of town. Blocks, yeah. In one sandal, she gets to the hotel where the disgusting party room is, only to be turned away and put back out on the streets. Yeah. She just sits there, and finally, like, her moment of giving up is she's sitting outside, and she finally just kicks off the last remaining sandal, and she's barefoot and on yeah. the street. And I was like, that was so touching. Oh, that's awful. That actress, uh, Mickey O'Hagan, she was so convincing that you weren't sure <laughs> that she was an actress. She no, thought she I was, was a real... scared. I get scared when I see really whore. skinny people on TV. Did they do it for the role? Or are they okay? But now I'm inspired to see John Baker's other films that Mickey O'Hagan yeah. were in. And also... Um, what are they again? Rosmick, who was the cab driver, he and Mickey O'Hagan were both in Starlet and Prince of Broadway. See, I mean, it really is kind of faux documentary. Did you have a dude award? I said I, I was hard-pressed to find one. I didn't think... <laughs> we could give it to the other cabbie, kind of the philosophical cabbie who picks up the mother-in-law and delivers her to donut time. Yeah, um, I, I I don't want to give a dude award just for the sake of giving one. I didn't think any of the characters, I mean, the actors were all fantastic. I'll see you in 10 years, kid. Oh, my God, I hate men. Yes. All right. Yeah, so I think now that we're on our second wine choice, we can successfully toast this movie. We'll drink to forget that first wine. We'll drink to forget the first wine. We're going to drink to our grapefruit rosé. Yep. And if you check Jane. our uh, Instagram, you'll see both. Very important to always have a backup wine. Uh-huh. That, if we've learned anything today, children, <laughs> to always have a backup wine in the fridge. Yeah. I mean, compared to the first shitty bottle of wine, this wine tastes delicious. It's very but fragrant. But it is very fragrant, and it is very uh, grapefruity. I mean, it's like, it is bam, called grapefruit. grapefruit, and they're not lying. As a product of France. It's it is subtle. ruby red rose with grapefruit wine. And this one was super cheap. Both were within a working gal's budget, like we do. Rosé saved the day. Rosé, oh, Yeah. 
And there's no question about whether or not we would drink to this film. This is a movie I definitely would not have seen on my own, and that's one of the reasons why I like this podcast. All right, so what do we have next? I think we're going to tell you our next two movies so that we give you guys enough time to watch and send us any of your thoughts. Because we usually give you, I think, like two or three days, and that's kind of uncool. So our next movie, which we're super excited about and have been patiently putting off because a lot of people instantly do this movie, and we love this movie. We've already seen it several We're times. like, oh, we don't want to do all these movies that everybody else does. Everyone's always talking about because we're so special and unique. But we've waited long enough to finally review. On was it the one year anniversary of the movie's almost. released? Yeah, almost. I think so. It's Mad Max Fury Road. Woo! Academy Award, multiple. Oh yeah, Academy Award winning. And we will have a special guest. Who you may recognize his voice from the beginning and end of the podcast. He is our super talented narrator. And he's also my brother, Sean Gallagher. Yay! So we'll have our first uh, dude guest. We had our first guest last episode. First dude guest. We're just breaking all kinds of ground. I know. And we're bringing him on because he's also a super fan and personally came to Baltimore to drag us both to see it with him. (laughs) Yeah, so we owe Sean a debt of gratitude for basically bringing us in. Not that we wouldn't want to watch this Mm -hmm. movie. For Some people may or may not know that Mad Max had an anti-audience that apparently there was a sub, sub, sub group of (sighs) men who felt that they had been duped into seeing this movie, that it was... They're, yeah, just, they're the same group of people who don't like Star Wars because they have st- female characters or interracial relationships. But exactly. we wanted to prove that there are men who like this movie. Mm-hmm. And, and I think Sean's Sean saw it like five times before he even saw it. He's me. probably watching it right now. He's probably watching it and right he now. He's not even in preparation for the podcast just because he wants to watch it. So, yeah, if you have any um, thoughts or questions about Mad Max that you'd like us to talk about on the air, uh, get them to us before Saturday, April 30th. And our next movie for May, because it's May and because it's prom, we're going to celebrate it with a listener recommendation and watch Carrie. Yes, uh, that was a recommendation from Leela from Frederick, Maryland. Thank you. And she also was courteous enough to suggest a movie and the wine. She said she wanted to watch Carrie. With a box of red wine, and that's easily done. We can, yeah. We, we are can, happy we to that. oblige. We, we will drink the entire box. Just kidding. All right. And if you have any thoughts about that, you can get them to us before May 15th. So Mad Max, April 30th, Carrie, May 15th, and we're going to kick off the summer season right. All right. All right. That's it. Thanks for listening. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you like what you heard, please rate us on iTunes or like us on SoundCloud. You can find us on Facebook, Tumblr, Twitter, Pinterest, and Instagram. Just search for Her Head in a Box podcast. Our theme music was composed by Brooks Harlan and presented by Big Crunch Amp and Guitar Repair in Baltimore City. Until next time, cheers.